Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals, talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, we talk a lot about development and innovation, and that has certainly been a consistent topic here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. Our next guest has taken his skill set and really applied people and process to excel in his career. I'm excited to have John Fisher, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Marketing for the Arizona Diamondbacks. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Great being here. John, great to have you on and very excited to walk through your career. So let's start right at the beginning. You grow up in Pittsburgh, certainly a sports city. You had a younger sister and your dad worked at the newspaper, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So was there a job or an early experience growing up that really helped solidify, you know what, sports is the path I want to take? I don't necessarily know if there's anything specific. Like a lot of people in this industry, very big sports fan. Um, really started to get to the height of my fandom, if you will, probably 12, 13 years old. You really started watching every game and paying attention to stats, uh, posters on the wall, all the things a lot of kids do. And I think that's a big way that my dad and I actually really connected. And even to this day, sports is such a huge piece of it. So it's just really been a, a really big part of my life. So not necessarily one specific experience or anything. It's just really the role that sports has played in my life since I was a kid. And absolutely. You mentioned that, you know, growing up when you're 12, 13, you've got the posters, you're starting to engage, you're starting to have that father, son bonding time. Even at the time, like most of us are probably like, I still don't know what I'm going to do in my life. But then your dad ended up telling you about a sports management major. So I guess how exciting was that to, to hear that that was available? Yeah, he told me probably when I was a sophomore in high school, I want to say that a college there in the Pittsburgh area had a sport management program. And it's supposed to prepare you to really have a career in the sports field. And I had no idea what that meant, you know, working in sports, you know, what the jobs are besides coaches and GMs and things like that. But I knew that that was definitely the path that I wanted to go. I knew that, you know, who knows what opportunities are going to present themselves and what this prepares you for exactly. But to be in the uh, the sports field for my career was a no brainer. And uh, I was very fortunate to know early on in high school that this is, this is what I want to pursue. Well, you certainly took that career path and ran with it. You end up going to receive your Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration and Sports Management at Robert Morris University there in Pittsburgh. You're even in the program's Hall of Fame. And so as, as you look back at your college career, was there an internship or an experience that said, all right, now it's, it's sports, it's in the sales or revenue generation, let's go get it? Yeah, I'd say there's two. So my, my first pro team experience was an internship with the Penguins, and it was in uh, community relations, and then on game nights, we were helping out media relations, and I, uh, I loved it. 
and the team was really good that year. We went to the conference uh, finals, actually went to game seven and lost at home against uh, the Florida Panthers. And to me, that solidified that I want to be in sports. This experience was amazing. Being in the front office, going to games, a playoff run, like this is this is a no-brainer. Now it was 10 years until I experienced the playoffs again. So <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out the way that I yep. expected, at least early on. But I would say when it came to sales specifically, while I was still in college, I had a, an hourly job with the Pirates. I was working in the box office. Because uh, during college, I really wanted to get into media relations. That's where a lot of my experiences and internships were geared toward. Um, but my opportunity to work in the box office really gave me an idea that sales is a thing. Back then, it really wasn't taught or talked about much in school. So getting exposed to it and seeing that this is actually something that's really important and vital to an organization, in addition to looks like you know, it's a bigger staff and they've got multiple managers, like maybe there's something to this. So uh, after I graduated, even though everything had really been geared toward more of a media relations path, I figured, like, what the heck, let's, uh, let's give this a shot and start applying to uh, sales positions. No, that's awesome. And I knew that's why you'd be a great guest, you know, with the media back, background. I knew you'd be awesome on the podcast. And, you know, as you, as you think about advice for some of our listeners, John, because, you know, certainly my end, my end as well, you know, going through college, I thought I was going to be in the sports media route and, you know, sales just kind of landed in my lap. And so for the advice out there of those that, hey, I really want to be in media, what has been that biggest thing that you look back and you're like, I can't believe maybe maybe you still wanted to be in media, but maybe there was there something that you're like, you know what? If I were to just focused on sales, like that's what re- really made me trigger. Yeah. So for me, the path toward uh, media relations was that here you are as close to the actual game as you can get without being on the operation side. And I knew I was never going to be a GM or assistant GM, but if I can travel with the team and you know be in the locker room area, work with the media up in the press box, press releases, stats, I mean, Again, if you're a person who likes sports, like who doesn't want to be right in the middle of all that? So I would have gone down that path. I think things would have worked out. I would have been very happy. But when I saw, again, that sales is a thing, I started to connect more dots to my personality. And that's just really competitive, driven by financials, Um, the opportunity to interact with a lot of different fans. um, All that started to really check a lot of boxes for me and just the opportunity to grow as well. You know, media relations staff, including the vice president, might have four or five people right. in sales. You can have dozens of people. Pre-pandemic, we had about 65 people here at the D-backs. So I started to also see that maybe there's an opportunity, not necessarily for quicker growth, but just more opportunities for growth. Um, so that's why uh, I figured, let me give this a try. And if I don't like sales, I can always lean back on media relations. But ultimately, uh, sales really worked out for me and I enjoyed it. You know, between your passion, competitiveness, you certainly can you know control your own destiny, which you've done a tremendous job. And you know, probably your one of your first sales you had to make was right after college. You know, you went to college at Robert Morris, right outside of Pittsburgh, grew up there, families there. You decided to take the move to Florida to be the group's event coordinator with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, so first, like, how was that in selling your family, probably ultimately your friends, that like, hey, you know, yes, I've I've interned with the Penguins, I've interned with the Pirates, but now I'm moving to Florida. Yep. So I think I mean, my family was super supportive. Um, I, I couldn't have really gotten anywhere to where I am now without my parents and encouraging and being behind me and all the moves that I've made uh, throughout my career. So it was it was never any question or any you wondering why am I making the decision? Why are you going down there? Why are you changing paths after you've been going toward media relations for these last you know three, four years? Uh, so they were super supportive the whole time. My friends understood this is what I wanted to do as well. 
And I think I knew early on that, you know, being in sports is going to mean you're going to probably move. And some people are fortunate to be able to stay in the market where they grew, grew up. Um, but for me, it just, this was the great opportunity that I knew I couldn't pass up. And at the time it was only a temporary opportunity. It was a, the, the, the team was sort of testing out group sales. So it was me and another guy and uh, they were going to reevaluate at the end of the season. And if it didn't go well, they didn't like it, they would just not have a group sales staff. So I figured, you know what, why not? If I, if I don't like it, if I'm no good at it, if they decide that they're not going to move forward with a full-time staff, then worst case scenario, I just spent the off season, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, the winter months in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> and, you know, I'll just go back home and figure out next steps and have uh, a lot more on my resume. But fortunately, it all worked out. Trade up, a, trade a couple rivers for the ocean, right? Um, it's not a bad trade up, especially uh, in the winter months. In the winter, exactly. Well, you know, so you end up going to the Lightning. You spend a couple of years there. So how was that experience like for you? You know, as, you, as kind of your first launch in, into, yes, it was temporary, but full-time temporary in sales with a professional team, you know, in, in early stages of it. Yeah. So Travis, we could talk for probably another hour, maybe even two hours about my two seasons in, in Florida and especially my first probably six to eight months there. I think I went through more in those first six to eight months than a lot of people do in their entire career. Uh, I got there in October of the season in which I started and the team was sold to a new owner the previous June. And he came in and did a great job of getting getting the team out of debt and getting the market really excited about having stable ownership. And we were really bad on the ice and he ended up spending way more than he anticipated. Um, things just continued to spiral with the team's performance. We lost all of our resources. Um, we had no email. We had one printer for the whole department. It was a really, really rough start. And uh, in February, only a few months again, after he bought the team, there started to be some rumors that the team was for sale. And we heard all these internal dialogues of, you know, team, team's not selling, everything's fine, everything's great. And then we had an invitation to go to a press conference on a Monday afternoon to introduce the new owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, who was the Pistons organization, Palace Sports Entertainment. Yeah. Um, along the way, a lot of people had left. A lot of these folks from Detroit were now here, like all over the place in suits with clipboards. I had someone just walk up to my desk with a clipboard jot down some notes and walk away without saying a word. Not a and word. One of those, like, what, did, what, what was that? What, did, what just happened there? Uh, and then one day uh, in early May is when uh, they made the moves that we all expected. And uh, we lost everybody that was left in the sales staff, except for three of us. So it was, uh, it was a really crazy start to my career. Um, even early on when I was there, I didn't get a lot of training. My training consisted of sitting in my director's office for uh, two days and listening to him make calls. And he was setting up flyer programs with HR directors. Everybody said yes. And I thought, this is this is, this is going to be the easiest group out right. ever. I made it. And then, yeah, I got thrown on the phones and had to just go and figure all of it out pretty much myself. So um, eventually after the, new, after the sale closed, new ownership came in. I mean, we got immediately that day, it was June 1st of that year. We had new computers, new systems, new everything. The sales staff was rebuilt. Uh, we had a great VP. We had, uh, I had a new director. Eventually, Chad Estes came down from Detroit and became our vice president. So I got to work closely with him uh, and things were really good. But that first six to eight months was uh, it was tough. It really was. But I learned a ton and a lot of lessons that have really been with me for my entire career. As I say, you look back on it, like some of it, you just can't make some of that stuff up. But then, too, and like, you know, leading into some advice for the listeners as well is 
we talk a lot about control what you can control. And that's why you, know, you even mentioned you like sales because you can control your work ethic and your passion. Yep. Some of those areas, those are not controllable, right? You can't control uh, what the media is going to say about the team, a, a, a team sale, everybody else around you getting let go. So like, what's your advice to listeners of just still trying to, you know, keep the, the blinders on and keep the narrow focus of, you know, what is your goal? Yep. I think you need to just keep, like you said, keep the blinders on and understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and work hard and worry about your own business. You know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in everything that's going on internally and externally office politics, negative people, things like that. But if you just keep your head down and keep working hard, even if the results aren't necessarily there because the situation is so bad. And that happened my first year, we did not generate a lot of revenue. We, it was a tough putt trying to sell tickets in, in Tampa, Florida for a team that ended up being the worst team in the league. But I just keep, I kept working hard. I kept practicing. I kept training every day on my drive in and out instead of listening to the radio or sports talk. I had a back then a little mini tape recorder that I kept car and I would just practice my pitch over and over and over again and when you think you have it down you go back and listen to yourself and say no it's not it's not good enough you know listening to dvds in in their uh you know cds in the car um sales speakers uh reading books I just tried to do everything I could to educate myself and uh, put myself in a better position if we weren't going to be provided with a lot of sport training I knew I'd have to do myself I was just talking to a college class a couple of weeks ago, and, and I think I kind of blew their mind because I was like, when I first started selling, I didn't even have a CD player in my car. So I had my disc man with the cassette plugged in yeah. to listen to some CDs, you know, and, yeah. and the books on tape type thing. So but but that just goes to show, right, like, you know, you want to take it to be elite. You're not just listening to music going in or a talk show. You're listening to find yourself a way to get better every every single day. Yep. And it's a lot easier in this day and age now with the podcasts and all the technologies that we have access to. I still try to do the same thing. I try to listen to podcasts as often as I can and uh, still try to find ways to improve and uh, understand just what's going on out in the marketplace. What are the trends and how are things changing? What's different? And um, if you ever stop learning and challenging yourself, uh, that's that's when you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And so after a couple of years there with the Lightning and, and certainly you know going through a lot of highs and lows, you moved back to Pittsburgh and joined the Pittsburgh Pirates as an account executive you know, for a year there. Was that just always a dream that you wanted to make it back to Pittsburgh or was that just something, hey, this, is, this makes sense for me? Uh, I've never really targeted a location um, in my career. I, I never worried about where the team was located, whether it's in a tropic location or a winter cold location. It was really just about the opportunity, the people. And at that point, that's when the Pirates were getting ready to move out of Three River Stadium and move into PNC Park. So I sold groups down in Tampa for two years. Um, I, I did well, but I, I wanted to try season ticket sales. And I thought, here's a good opportunity to, for me to do that. And uh, there was a lot of people that I knew there from my previous couple seasons at the Pirates in the box office. So it was an easy transition. And to be able to sell a brand new ballpark, that uh, happened to be the one that, you know, for the team that I watch growing up at home was, was pretty special. So it was really more about the opportunity, the experience that I was going to get. Uh, and it just happened that it was, it was back at home. Nice. That's awesome. And you spend a year there and you know, then John, you ultimately decide you want to get into leadership. So looking back at your time as a seller, what do you feel like you did to better prepare yourself for, for that first leadership opportunity role? Yeah, I had, I had a really good lesson when I was in Tampa. Um, as the, the new ownership came in and we kind of retooled the whole staff, we grew the group's department to a total of four people. And 
midsummer, late in the summer, our director was uh, laying out our goals and there were three people that had never worked in sports before. This was their first job. And while I only had about, you know, six or eight months of experience, they were looking to me um, as the leader of the group. And I never really realized that. So our director rolled out goals and they were aggressive goals. And I was very outspoken about that. And I told her, I, I think these goals are too big. I think these goals are you're kind of crazy. I was here last year. I know how bad it was, how tough it is in this market. There's no way we can hit these numbers. It's a lot of negativity and I did not handle it well or correctly at all. So afterwards, she, she held me back and said, listen, like you can't you can't talk that way. If you feel these ways, then just talk to me. But let's do it just one-on-one behind a closed door. When you say that in front of the rest of the group, you're going to spin them out. And they're probably now doubting these goals, doubting me, just thinking that they're going to fail. And whether you know it or like it, they're looking to you as, as a leader, as the person that um, has the experience and that knows what to do and how to do things. And as a young rep, a young person, I never really connected those dots and, and I didn't think in those terms. And it was very short-sighted, very foolish, and it was a huge eye-opener for me. So I told her, like, this, this, is, this is huge. This is great advice. And I promise, like, you're not going to get that from me again. And I started to realize just what my role is and how I can impact the people around me. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy going out of my way to be proactive, to help them, to show them the ropes, to guide them through appointments and discussions and even just logistical things in the ticket system, CRM. And, you know, to see someone understand what it is you're talking about and then go and, and run on their own brought me a lot of satisfaction. So, you know, I think I had visions early on of being in leadership. A lot of people do. You don't really know what that means. Um, but that first few months in particular of understanding that I am a leader here and doesn't matter what your title is. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I, I felt the, the power that has in, in a good way. Right. And uh, I wanted to pursue that and continue to try to make a positive impact on people. Um, in my career. And you certainly have done that. You've made a, a, a big impact on a lot of people and your first leadership opportunity is with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you actually reunite with Chad Estes who had come down, uh, you know, in Tampa and, and with Mike Andreco and, and a great group there, group there in Cleveland. So what were some of your key learnings during your time in Cleveland that you still apply to your every day? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with Chad is culture. Chad is really a culture guy and creates a competitive culture culture of learning, culture of working hard and being challenged. I mean, we, we worked our tails off and we put in a lot of effort, but we had a lot of fun along the way and uh, we were rewarded for it. And if, if you put in those, those efforts and uh, you bust your tail, um, a lot of good things are going to happen. And Chad was just an awesome leader and always supportive, always there and available. Door was wide open. I mean, I, just, I learned so much and I was fortunate to be with him on two different stops um, a much longer time in Cleveland, but um, took took a ton away from him. I really did. He's largely the foundation of um, what it is I've tried to do over my career and what it is we try to do here at the D-backs. But culture, if I had to say one thing from Chad, is, is the biggest takeaway uh, is the sales call he creates. That's awesome. And, you know, while at the Cavs, you know, along with culture, you had success and you, you led a group sales team to become the first NBA team to to surpass $3 million in group sales. That was LeBron's first time around. What do you feel like you and the team did on a consistent basis to have so much success? Because, you know, as people date back to then, the team wasn't very good. Yeah, I would say there's, there's three main things, and that would be um, staffing. We had the right people in place. And uh, when you have the right people, that makes a lot of everything else easier. And I don't care what your ideas are, what your plans are. 
um, what your business plans are. And if you don't have the right people to execute, nothing else really matters. So we, we had the right people in place and that was first and foremost. Secondly, I think it was our strategies that we had. Um, we were, that was kind of early on as sales departments were starting to break up and have dedicated staffs. Um, we had a larger group staff. We had six or seven people. So it was one of the bigger across the league. We were aggressive with pricing. You know, oftentimes I think in groups, the, um, the norm was to be very discount oriented and deep discounts and, you know, try to encourage people to come out and, you know, bring even bigger groups with a bigger discount. But we shied away from that largely. And for some of the bigger games that we had, we even had no discount for group tickets. The, uh, the benefit we provided was just access to seats that were all together. Um, so I think our strategies were good. We also started our campaigns earlier than any other team. We were the first team to start in March or April for the following season. We started to collect um, deposits. We were very aggressive with our deposit campaign throughout the, uh, the summer months. And, and we focused on a lot of um, the assets um, is what we called them back then. Um, it's things like court time, being on the court before the game, after the game, half times, pregame performances. Um, we try to utilize the entire building and give groups reasons to come out beyond just enjoying the game. And uh, that worked really well for us. And the final piece of just support. Uh, we had a ton of department and organizational support to be able to have a staff that big, have the resources that we did to be able to spend money to get an artist for a faith and family night, to be able to have access to the court, um, not just pre-game and post-game, but on dark days and have you know, a bunch of the guys from operations there working on what is normally their day off, um, getting halftime access to sell those, to leverage for group tickets, pre-games, recognition. We, we utilized the court a lot. We utilized in-game a lot. And that doesn't happen without support of the organization and everyone understanding how important it is to move tickets and to, uh, to leverage all of them. So it was, it was those three things, staffing, strategy, and uh, company-wide support. You know, and, and along those, John, you know, we kicked off the, the podcast with talking about, you know, your innovative style. And some of our listeners right now are like, oh, some of that stuff makes sense. But back in the early 2000s, to launch a campaign before the season was even over was unheard of. To, to yeah. charge regular rate card, you know, and not just kind of give away discounts was unheard of at that point in time. You guys were kind of the first to the table to really yeah. build out what is now a best practice in our industry. So, you know, huge on that end. And you know, John, as, as you're working your way up the leadership route with the Cavs, you're having a ton of success. You end up taking a new role within the organization. This time, your first opportunity is the vice president of sales and service with the Lake Erie Monsters of the American Hockey League. And now the team had just been purchased from the ownership group, and you were just kicking off that inaugural campaign. Why was that the right move for you at the time? Yeah, it was it was exciting. It really was. Um they were just basically myself and two other people that started very early on and to be at the ground up of the start of a franchise, including name discussions. And I was able to sit in the back of the room as we discussed our affiliation at the time with the Colorado Avalanche and, you know, designing ticket packages and how the, the arena would be scaled with pricing and different um, premium opportunities. It was just, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I knew that that would really help round out a lot of my experience that I just had for uh, so many years on the group end. And our group business was very mature at that point. The Cavs on the court were in, in a really good place. I had two great managers that helped me on a day-to-day -day basis that I kind of turned the, the keys over to those two. Um, and they're still running group sales departments now um, in the industry, one with the Blackhawks, one uh, there in your backyard with Miami Heat. 
and uh, I probably spend 10% of my time on, on the Cavs and 90% on the, on the hockey team. And it was just, there were a lot of things that made sense for me and a lot of, uh, a lot of things added up that, you know what, this is a good time for me to make this move. And uh, it was, it was just tremendous experience and to really oversee the entire side, you know, sales side of, of that organization was, uh, was, was awesome. It really was. And to still have the support of the bigger company of the Cavaliers company of Dan Gilbert, uh, who owned all the properties was, uh, just something that took it to the next level. We could, we could do things a lot of other minor league teams couldn't. Uh, so I was really fortunate to get that experience. I really was. No, it's a great experience to your point, great leadership. And, you know, early on, you know, you had mentioned like you, you weren't necessarily taking jobs because of location. Well, another piece of, of advice and another area that people struggle with at times, many times in this industry, people get caught up in chasing titles or working for specific organizations. So back then, I'm sure at the time you probably had some naysayers and probably people were like, why would you go from the pros to the minor leagues? So what advice do you have for people that may find themselves in a similar situation? Yeah, it, it, I think it's really about the opportunity itself, the day-to-day, the ownership group, the resources you're provided, the people that you're surrounded by. You know, you're better off being surrounded by really good people with a really great culture in a minor league setting than you are at the major league level with people that just don't have your back and then aren't trying to develop you and to coach you and to bring you along and help you grow and develop. So for me, it, again, it was a no-brainer because of all the things that made sense, still being tied to the bigger Cavs organization was, was just gravy on top of it all. But you're right. People chase titles too often, and they don't really look at what the situation is day to day and the people they're working with and working for in the organization itself. And that can be a big game changer um, if you're in a situation that's not very good. So I, I think people need to look at all those things and you know, my next move uh, here to Phoenix is, is a really good example of that. So um, what is the job? Who are the people you're surrounded by? What is the organization? What's the culture? Those are all just very, very critical things. Um, sometimes way more important than just what level the team plays on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, John Fisher, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Marketing of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And John, to that point, looking to move out back in October of 07, you know, outside of a couple of years in Tampa, you're in Pittsburgh, you're in Cleveland, which is just a couple hours away. Now you're moving all the way west. So 
out to Phoenix there with the D-backs. So how did that role come about? I had no designs on moving from Cleveland, none whatsoever. Um, things were going great. The new hockey team was just up and running. Again, on the, on the Cavs side, we had just gone to the finals. Unfortunately, we got swept by San Antonio, but we figured there's a lot more good to come. Like, I'm in a great, great spot, and I really was. Um, but when I learned about what was going on here in Arizona, I, I, got, I got really excited. So when I was in Tampa, I mentioned we hired three new group reps um, as the new ownership came in. One of those was a guy named Brent Stellick, who's gone on to have a ton of success in the industry. Brent and I went our separate ways. He ended up leaving the Lightning eventually when I was up north, but we were close friends, always stayed in close contact. And he actually came here in uh, July of 07 as the vice president of, uh, of the department. So we were always in communication and sharing ideas and information. They had a very old school approach here. It was a small staff. Everybody did everything. The departments were not dedicated like they were in the NBA, like we had in the Cavs, with, with the Cavs. Um, so Brent was looking to do that. And one day we were just kicking some different ideas and thoughts around and asked him, what are you trying to hire for now? He said, I need a, a director of season tickets and a director of service, any interest? I was like, I don't know, what, what are you doing for the, the season's position? And we started exchanging some emails and all of a sudden we both kind of paused and thought, okay, are we, are we actually starting to talk here a little bit? Is this getting serious? So we figured, let's, let's get on the phone this weekend and, and talk in more detail. And as I learned even more about what his vision was and um, what ownership's vision was and everything that was happening here, it just became more and more of a, of a no-brainer for me. And uh, as I mentioned before, chasing titles, you know, I was a, a vice president of ticket sales and service for the AHL team we had and still director of group sales for the Cavs in a really good position. But I decided to come here as uh, director of season ticket sales. So title wise, for sure, a step back in yep. responsibility. But knowing what Brent was trying to create here and grow a culture from the ground up and just change the course of this department uh, and to do it with someone that I was really good friends with. And he ended up hiring a few other guys that I knew from back in the NBA days, it just seemed like this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, while I really enjoyed my time at Cleveland, if I never hear Lake effect snow again, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, coming down here to the warm weather, uh, certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't bad either. That doesn't hurt the cause. And, you know, to your point, you, you first went out there, director of season ticket sales. After a few years, you end up getting elevated up to the vice president role and now into the senior vice president role where you've been for almost 11 years. And so did you ever imagine back then you would still be there almost 14 years later? I think in an honest moment, no. Um, you know, as you know, people move around a lot in this industry and I had moved a lot in the first eight, nine years of my career and figured that that's just going to continue. And if anything, you know, all my family and friends, everybody's back east that I would not lock down here in the, in the southwest. But it, it didn't take me long to really fall in love with the organization, fall in love with the city. Um, very fortunate to be here with some really amazing people, great ownership. Our executive team, our, our senior leadership is fantastic. Has always been very supportive of me. And uh, I, I've just been fortunate to continue to be given opportunity and to grow. And every day I'm still challenged and I enjoy what I do. And as you know, from your time here with the Suns, this, this is a challenging market. It really is. This, is. this is not an easy place to sell. Even during good times when teams are performing well, it's right. a market that has a lot of transients, a lot of people from other places, small corporate base. And for us specifically, playing in the summer months, we have a lot of people that leave town. Uh, right. Heat. So um, even during really good times, there's nothing that's ever, uh, quote unquote, easy here. It's not going to be easy. 
Exactly. So, you know, to, to have that challenge uh, for these last 11 years has been really enjoyable and it continues to be enjoyable. Well, and we'll certainly dive into all of your success, you and your team's success have had. And, and prior to getting to that point, you, you talk about, you know, what you learned a lot from the Cavs is culture. And you've certainly built a great and tremendous culture out there. And part of that is, is, is to your point from the executive team on down, because I know you've been approached many times about other opportunities, but you ultimately continue to stay within the D-backs organization. So what do you feel like they, as a, you know, you, the Diamondbacks as a whole has done from a culture perspective that says, you know what, this is enticing to continue to stay and, and continue to build yeah. my career here. Yeah. Culture has been a big part of the organization as a whole. Our, our president CEO, Derek Hall, it's been one of his, uh, one of his, his top priorities, if not the top priority. And in 2016, for example, Forbes ranked all the cultures of, uh, sports, professional sports teams and best places to work. And we're proud to say that we were ranked number one. So it's, it's really across the entire organization. Of course, within sales, we have our own culture within the bigger, yeah. but this, it's a really, it's a really good place. It really does truly have a family feel to it. And, you know, all organizations say that we're a big family, but that, that's truly the case here where we all really, we care about each other. And our leadership team here has been together for, pretty long time. The majority of us have been together for 10, 10 plus years in some cases. Yep. Uh, some of the newer people that have joined as VPs are largely people that have been part of the organization and joined through promotions. So there's been a lot of continuity. We've all been together for just such a long time. We know each other's moves and goals and priorities. And um, we worry about what happens in other areas of the business. And even within ticket sales, there's a lot of people that have been here for a long time. Now, we've had some changes with the pandemic and that was expected. Yep. Um, but we still have a, a really good core group of people that have been here for 10 plus years. So I think the big thing that's kept me here is just the culture, the people, the ownership. Um, but beyond that, it's the support that we get, the autonomy that we get. We're, we're challenged to be innovative. And that's a good thing because we can go and try new things. And um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. What did we learn? Let's go try something else. And uh, we have a lot of autonomy and um, again, the challenges are, are still here. So it's, it's been just a, a good, a good 14 seasons here um, as part of the D-back and um, I've been very fortunate. And I think the best part about it is, you know, going back to control, you can control not one of those points is like, well, it was, it was really fun because we won multiple championships or we've been such a good team and things like that. And, you know, you, you left Cleveland as they started probably ready to spike. You got yep. to Arizona in 07, the appeal of the new ballpark that just, you know, opened up several years prior and the 01 World Series had kind of worn off a little bit at that point in time. You're in a transient market, a difficult sales market. But despite that inconsistent team performance for quite a while, you and the continued uh, you team continue to sell at all-time high records, topping 2 million fans on a consistent basis, which is a huge number in Major League Baseball. So what do you, what do you feel like the team is just continuing to do to maintain such a high level of success on a consistent basis? Well, I'll actually go back to the same three things I mentioned with, with the Cavs is kind of the pillars and that's staffing and having the right people and strategies and then support. You know, we, we for sure across the organization, but specifically in ticket sales have the right people. And like I mentioned, we have some people that have been here for a long time um, and they've developed and they've grown along the way. I mean, all of my direct reports, all of my directors, either started here as manager, excuse me, as, uh, as reps and moved their way up as managers and directors, or they started even all the way down as inside sales reps and have grown to be department heads. Um, it's, it's those people that really help us 
get to those uh, get to those good levels of attendance and revenue and um, you can't do without the people. Yep. Strategy, I, I think we've been we've learned a lot over the years and you find out okay, what works and what doesn't work. And we've really engaged and invested in analytics. And it's amazing how much that helps drive the business. You know, I, I think back to our first couple of years here and our, uh, our version of variable pricing or dynamic pricing was we all sat in the conference room and we pulled out a schedule and we circled the five or six games that we thought should be an increased price. And then we compared and contrasted and we drilled that down to whatever the final number was, let's call it five to eight. And then we added an extra $5 for people to bought on the day of game at the box office. And yep. that was, you know, and now like a lot of teams, we have very, very intricate dynamic pricing. And we have a person who full-time, she's a statistician, an actual math Focus. person tracks yep. and follows everything and tweaks a dollar here, a dollar there. And that's allowed us to really maximize in ways that 10 plus years ago, we, we didn't. And then the organizational support continues to be just amazing here. Uh, similar to what I mentioned with the Cavs, there's a lot that we do on the field, post games, um, leading on game operations and ballpark operations a lot. And just the ability to go and try new things and um, challenge ourselves to just do something new and do something different is, is awesome. And we have the support to be able to do that and the resources to go. And hey, we think this is going to work. Here's how it is. We break it down. And typically we get approval for it, even if it means if it's an increase in expense or headcount. Obviously, we're accountable for those results. Um, to, to have the support that we do here has been, has been really good. And I think the biggest thing overall, Travis, then is we work really well as an organization. And you know, that means a lot of meetings and a lot of communicating. Um, right. But there's no silos. And we, we know each other's business in a good way. And we help each other. and We leverage things for each other. Okay, community's doing this. What can we do to help? we're trying to do this how can other departments help us corporate has a new partner they're bringing on board what do we need to do to help with activation um that's just been done here in ways that i haven't seen with the other teams i worked for before as you say that's the, the such the biggest thing you know a lot of people that you know we talk to our counterparts in the business they're like oh the challenge is it's just so siloed we're in our own little vertical and so to be able to break that down and even kind of going back to the you know the theme of the podcast and culture and you mentioned you know several of your leaders you know, had were started out as sales reps and have worked themselves up and i know you personally have always had a big emphasis on staffing and and training and development and so quick advice for listeners throughout your journey, you've certainly been around a lot of really successful people and hired some great talent. What are some of those key characteristics you're always looking for, kind of regardless of what league they're applying for? I think there's some of the basic things that all leaders are looking for that are so critical, right? And that's work ethic, um, hustle, obviously, I and mean, that all ties together. I mean, you, you've got to work your tail off. You really do. You have to go above and beyond. You know, the, all those cliches of when you're done right. making calls, make five or 10 more. Make more, yep. It really is. Um, attitude, for sure, is super important. So I, I think those are a couple of the, the standard hallmarks that everyone's looking for, but it, it doesn't mean it's not critical. Um, someone that is just looking to continue to educate and to continue to make themselves better. Yeah, I, I want a staff that just has always challenged themselves to learn more and to not just be satisfied with where they are. So how do we find those people? Yep. I think one of the biggest things is just a passion for the industry. 
not necessarily sports because we have some people here that aren't huge baseball fans and they are super successful as salespeople, but just a passion for selling and a passion for connecting with people, a passion for the competitiveness that comes along with it and wanting to be number one, wanting to improve, wanting to get better. Um, that, that just, that's super important. And what we say a lot is if when, you, when you're in sports and selling, or if you're selling in sports, whatever those two you want to put first in the, in the list or in the order, it's not really a job. It's really more of a lifestyle because you're just, you, you need to be so committed to it. And whether it's the hours because of the nights and the evenings or just the hard work that it takes and getting through those tough times. And as you know, cold calling and just even calling warm leads or calling current customers can be tough and that can be long days. And if you're not just in it on a different level, it's, it's, it's not really going to work. And as we, recruit new people for inside sales entry level you know one of the things i always talk about is people that were athletes whether high school or college they practice every single day and most of them probably knew they were not going to play at the highest level of whatever their sport offered but they practice every day and they're super committed to it and that's the same mindset i think that we need when we're in sales like you you need to be committed you need to practice you need to get better what amazes me is how people get these full-time careers and they don't put all those extra efforts into it. You have an athlete, like I said, I know I'm never going to go to the Olympics. I'm a track and field person and maybe I go to college and I perform track and field at the university level, but I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not right. going to world competitions, but that person still practice and train every day. And then you get into the real world, you get into your career, your livelihood, your future, and you don't have the same commitment to training and getting better and practicing and reading and podcasts and role-playing. And that's just, that's the kind of thing that blows me away is why would you not dedicate the same commitment you had it, whatever else you did in life to this, because it's so important. So that passion for what it is you're doing um, is super important for us. It's something we look for. Oh, and I couldn't agree more. You know, passion is such a big piece, right? It's, it's going back to control what you can control, but, but also at the end of the day, it's going to be a lot of long hours. It's going to be a grind. And if you're not passionate about your business, the craft sales, like you're not going to be successful And it. And it is, it's kind of funny, right? Like you look back and you're like, you spent all this time practicing for, let's call it eight years of your life, knowing that it wasn't even going to be a long-term thing. You maybe ends in college. Now yep. you have a 30, 40 year career and you're not going to continue to practice. Like what's going on here? Yes, exactly. So, absolutely. And like I said, it's, we, we look at it as a lifestyle. I mean, you don't just punch in and punch out. Maybe there's some jobs out there where that's the case, but, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, right? But in, in this world in sales, if you're not always trying to get better in some way, shape or form, you're going to fall behind. You're not going to be as good as you could be. No, absolutely. And so in addition to you know, having that passion and hiring the right people, the process you are implementing and the strategy, which you've talked about a couple of times on a consistent basis from campaign timelines, sales events, benefits, certainly some big revenue drivers in, in the increase. So given so many initiatives that are just, it seems like in our business, they're always going on. How are you and the team consistently able to, to not only from a leadership end, hold people accountable, but ultimately as an entire organization produce at such a high level? Yeah, it's, it starts with the basics, you know, the, you know, CRM tracking and ticketing systems, things of that nature um, that exist with every sales team, every, every sales department out there, um, not just in sports, but across every industry. But at the same time, it, it has to go far beyond that. And it's the one-on-one -on -one interactions I think that are so critical. And 
not just talking about the official one-on-one -on -one meetings that happen weekly or monthly or whatever somebody's schedule may be, but how do you have those daily interactions and checking in with people on how they're doing professionally and personally? You know, I, I think that's something we do a really nice job of here is just truly about our people and our staffs because CRM and ticketing systems only tell us so much and all of those are really important factors and our key metrics and things of that nature and of course revenue is is in a lot of ways the the ultimate tracker of a person's success right. lack of success but it just comes down to a daily basis and how are people doing and checking in what are the challenges and what, what do you hear what's the vibe on the phone right now what are season ticket holders saying what are single game buyers saying what's just general feedback on team performance or something else external or something some decision that we may have made that we just announced and, and how can us how, how can we help as leaders you know what can i do what do you need from me what resources do you need and i think we have a, a fairly ongoing um dialogue in those terms with our staff and, and hopefully the reps see it as us making a a really true commitment and trying to set them up for just complete success and when you're in that kind of environment you know the hope is that you're gonna work a little extra harder you're gonna you know, run through the brick wall for my leadership team because they they really care about me and in addition to that they're helping me grow and they're giving me other experiences and opportunities and this is a place where i want to stay like why do i want to go anywhere else because i'm getting everything i can I've got everything i need and you know you guys are always willing to roll up your sleeves you know and be yes. on the front lines with everyone and you know John, you've had an amazing career and, and certainly, you know, to, to your point early on, like early on in your career, you went through a lot of highs and lows with ownership change, things like that. But as, as you look back at your career, you've built some great cultures, built some very successful programs, obviously some great talent. What has been your best memory to date? Well, um, I, there's, there's a lot, you know, you look at just big situations of teams playing well, being in the postseason a few times here, we had the all-star game here, being in the finals back in Cleveland in 07, um, more specific moments, you know, and, and experiencing a no-hitter or some of the things that LeBron did, especially in the postseason, were just, just amazing. But I, I think through all of that, uh, I have to say, it's just honestly the people over the years. You know, as I, as I think about, even right now, <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm saying those things, think about the people, you know? It's, yep. it's the people that make this all work. And I think that just goes to show the type of leader you are, John, like, you know, it's people first. You've mentioned that throughout the entire podcast, people and culture and, and putting them in a position to be successful. And what a great story you've had, certainly a great journey. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Let's do it. All right. So if you have to sing karaoke, what song are you choosing? So I've never done karaoke. Ever? Never. Wow. Nope. Why? Um, so I figured I, I figured at some local establishment at, at a Robert Morris there, there'd be a karaoke night that you'd be just uh, there, there Definitely. There were a few of those nights for sure. <laughs> I actually never participated. Not, not really sure why. Um, <laughs> I would probably go with the, I would love to go with the Miley Crew song. That's my all time favorite. Um, but I don't know if I can reach the same, uh, <laughs> same uh, vocal tones as Vince Neil. So I'd probably go with something from the doors, maybe um, Roadhouse Blues. Okay. I, think well, I, might go with that one. I won't make you sing it, but, uh, you know, maybe one time we'll, we'll have a karaoke night, but, uh, well, we could, now, we could do, we could do that on a separate 
video and you can uh, give that people that hit subscribe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we have now, if, if you ultimately go back to your media days, you have your own late night talk show. Who are you inviting as your first guest? Um, going back to my previous answer, I would go with um, my f- favorite band is Motley Crue. And I would go with uh, Nikki Six, the bassist. Um, just everything is a, is a rock star, all the questions you want to ask, but he's just, he's lived a, a fascinating life and difficult childhood, um, heroin addiction, yeah. big he's been able to shake and maintain sobriety for a long time now. And just, he largely has written most of the songs based on his experiences. I, I, I would, I would love to sit down with him for sure. That, that, that would be my first guest. Some great stories. What's the last thing on your bucket list that you've completed? Probably the Super Bowl. Um, the Steelers. Nice. Fortunate, fortunate seen twice. Uh, one win, one loss, but yep. that's the last thing. That's awesome. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Surround yourself with the right people. Um, again, like you can't, you can't worry about location, about job, worry about the right people, people that have your back, people that want you to grow and develop. They're going to coach you and train you, teach you. Yep. So surround yourself with the right people, be a leader. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> my experience in Tampa, everybody's a leader. It doesn't matter experience. It doesn't matter age, title, um, we're all leaders and we need to remember that. And uh, no matter if it's your first day on the job as an inside sales rep, you know, how you, how you act, how you operate, um, the people around you see that. You're leading. And uh, I think we all need to remember that. So be, be a leader at all levels at all times and uh, be patient. Um, a lot of times, and we've all been guilty of it, I have as well, you, you want whatever's next. Right. I want the next title. I want the next raise. I want the next job, whatever. But ultimately, be patient and do what you're doing really well. And if you are surrounded by good people at the same time and you're leading, the next opportunity is going to come at some point and it's, it's going to be the right one. So surround yourself with good people, be a leader, be patient. Great advice. Great advice. All, all comes down to, to being the right people. So, John, thank you so much. Great career journey you've had. I really appreciate your time and extra expertise and certainly a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it. A lot of fun. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.